Were you glad to be here? Good. Yeah, that's most of you. Good. Good. Well, we're going to continue in our series that we're calling The Kingdom Experiment. And uh, believe it or not, we've only got a few weeks left in this series. Uh, we, we actually began this preaching series clear back last fall. And uh, of course, we took a, a few breaks along the way. We took a break for Advent and then for Easter. And then, of course, uh, I was gone for some time during the summer for sabbatical. Uh, but the rest of the time, we have just kind of slowly and methodically been working our way through what many scholars have called the most comprehensive of all of Jesus's teaching. And of course, we're talking about what's most commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And, and in this sermon, uh, Jesus just kind of lays out for us, he says, you know, this is what it looks like to be my follower. This is what it looks like to, he calls it life in the kingdom. And, and he uses this kingdom language intentionally because he, he wants us to understand that what he's talking about is that what he came to do is not only to be the forgiver of our sins. In other words, that it's not just about that, uh, it's about, you know, heaven someday when we die, that it's not just about him as our savior, but also it's about him as our Lord. And, and this is really important because Jesus won't settle for anything else than lordship in our lives. And so it's a, there can only be one king. And so he says that this, this kingdom, as you enter into it, you're, it's, it's like you've got this new citizenship, that it trumps everything else, that it's intended to impact every aspect of your life. And in other words, it impacts the way you do life, the way, the way you do uh, marriage and relationships and the way you handle conflict and the way you approach sex and sexuality and the way you prioritize your time and how you make important decisions and, and even how you spend your money, which is what we talked about last week. And, and if you remember, I, uh, I mentioned last week that Jesus ties together the issue of, of treasure and trust, wealth and worry. He, he says that those two things are very closely related, and so he deals with those two issues back to back. Last week, we focused on the treasure and the wealth portion. This week, we're going to turn towards worry and anxiety. And, and really, the big question that Jesus is wanting for us to wrestle with here is, in who or what do I really place my trust? In, in who or what do I really place my trust? Now, now I know instinctively that the, the vast majority of us would immediately say, well, you know, the answer to that is, is easy. My trust is in God. You know, that's why I'm a Christian and that's why I come to church. That's why I, I throw a few bucks in the offering plate once in a while. We've settled that. You don't need to preach. Let's go to lunch. You're not going to get off that easy this morning. Because Jesus would say this, and Jesus actually does say this. He would say, okay, so why do you worry then? Because trust in God and worry cannot exist at the same time. 
that they're, they're actually polar opposites. That, that it's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you, you, can't, you can't be in, in Florida and Washington at the same time. It just, you know, they're, they're opposite parts of the United States. It just, it just doesn't work that way. And, and, and trust and worry are the same way. You're, you're either in one or you're in the other. You can't be in both. And so, like we talked about last week, it's important that we regularly take time. And, and time is the key. It does take time. We have to carve out time. And we need to do what David says in Psalm 139 is we need to ask God to help us examine our own hearts and reveal what's really there. Because sometimes we, we miss it. The, we, we all have blind spots. And they're called blind spots for a reason. Because we don't see them. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us examine our lives. Which, by the way, is, is why time spent in the Word of God is so important. That's, that's one of the things that God's Word is supposed to do. I tell people all the time that, that when you read the Word of God... It's more important that we allow it to study us than even us to study it. That, that, that even, um, you know, we, we, can, we, can, we can memorize the whole thing, but the reality is that if it doesn't change us, then what good is it? You know, we can get it all up in here, but if we don't get it here and it impact what we do out here, then it really doesn't matter. And so we need to allow it to examine us and to study us and to change us, okay? So, so that's kind of the sermon before the sermon. So if you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you to, to open them. Uh, you can open them this way or you can swipe them however you open them to uh, Matthew chapter 6. And uh, I'm going to be reading, uh, start reading in verse 25. And again, I'm reading from the New International Version, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. And let's do this. Why don't we stand in honor of the reading of God's word? These are the words of Jesus. He says, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the, the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, 
For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So Jesus begins here by saying, don't worry about your life. Some translations may, may say this, instead of don't worry, they may say, don't be anxious about anything. And anxiety is a real deal for some of us. In, in fact, um, just being told, don't be anxious, raises the anxiety level for some of us, right? I mean, just being told, don't be anxious, all of a sudden the anxiety level immediately goes through the roof. And so before we jump into what Jesus has to say about worry and anxiety, I want to just generally address the issue of anxiety, um, and hopefully this will relieve some of your anxiety before we go any further. When Jesus talks here about worry and anxiety, we need to understand that he's talking about a very specific type of worry and anxiety. He's talking about something very specific. In fact, when it comes to anxiety, there are actually three types of anxiety. The first type of anxiety is what could be called um, uh, physiological anxiety. And what I mean by that is that there is something that is built into all of us that whenever we experience a real or perceived threat, that there's actually a physiological response that takes place in us that is intended to cause us to say, something is not right here. You're not safe. And then, you know, fight or flight kicks in. And this is a God-given thing that God put in us that is meant to protect us. And, and, and I may have told some of you this story before, but a few years ago, Laura and I were still living over uh, in the South, South Street Parsonage. And uh, one summer evening, it was about 10 o'clock in the evening, and I went to take some trash out to the, the curb. And um, that 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 driveway, it's a long driveway, and so I was just kind of bopping along, you know, pushing the barrel down to the end of the driveway, having a good old time, and, and all of a sudden, my spidey senses kicked in, and I, I just kind of felt like, you know, there was something above me that was not right, and, and I should say this, that I'm not afraid of a lot of things, but I am deathly afraid of, um, I don't like snakes. I've ran from dead snakes before. <laughs> so I don't like snakes. I don't like rats or mice or rodents of any kind. And the only thing worse than a rodent is a flying rodent. You know, a flying rat. And I looked up and there were like thousands of them, like dive bombing my head, inches over my head. Like maybe not thousands, but there were lots of them. <laughs> and 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 I don't I don't know um, exactly, Carly. You guys lived over there, so I don't know exactly with the distance between the curb and the back door. Maybe 25, 30 yards, something like that. But I did it in like 2.5 seconds. <laughs> cleared the fence. <laughs> I got inside, and my heart is beating, 
and I'm sweating, and I'm hyperventilating. And Laura had been watching the whole thing throughout the window. No sympathy whatsoever. Not, none. Thinks it's the funny, none. The more I think about it, the more I'm angry I, I So, so God put that, whether it's a real or perceived threat, this, this physiological response is something that God put in. Jesus is not talking about that right, right here. Neither is he talking about the second category of anxiety, which is a, a chemical or a psychological anxiety, which, I, which I, I know that there are some of you who understand this all too well. This is the kind of anxiety that just... You know, it comes out of the blue for no understandable reason. It's not because of a, of a real or perceived threat. And it's hard to understand. In fact, I, I've had friends and family who suffer with this kind of anxiety. And whenever they, they suffer an anxiety attack or a panic attack, you know, if you're to ask them, you know, what happened to bring this on? They're like, I don't know, nothing. I mean, that's the point. <laughs> it just comes. And for some, you know, it may be the result of a chemical imbalance, or for others, it may be from a past trauma that has left a deep scar or an, and, and, and has had an impact. And if that's you, I just want to say this, that what you're experiencing or have experienced or struggling with is no more related to your spiritual maturity than someone who suffers from asthma or high blood pressure or kidney disease or any other health issue. Sometimes I'm afraid we've been guilty in the church when it comes to psychological issues of heaping unfair shame on people. You know, if you were just a little more spiritual, if you just read your Bible more, if you just, if you just prayed a little harder, if you just were a little bit more mature spiritually, then you wouldn't have this issue. And what we've done is rather than helping the issue, we've heaped more shame on people who are already struggling. And it'd be the same way if somebody you know, had asthma and we just said, you know, if you're more spiritual, then you wouldn't struggle with asthma. And, and, and if, if, if that is, has happened to you, and I, I just want to say this publicly, that, that if that has ever happened to anyone here this morning or anyone who is watching this today, on behalf of the people of God, I just want to say that it's wrong, and I'm sorry. We, we, listen, we, we believe, we're thankful for medications, and we encourage people that if you've got asthma, take medication. If you've got heart disease, take medication. If you suffer with anxiety, there's medication for that. We believe in healing. We pray for healing. And we believe that God, we don't understand it all. Sometimes God chooses to heal and sometimes he doesn't. We, we ask him for that. And so it's not that we don't ask him for that. But, but we, 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 I just want to make sure that as we talk about anxiety here, Jesus is not talking about a physiological or psychological anxiety. What he's talking about here and what he's wanting to deal with is there's a third kind of anxiety, and it's what could be called sinful anxiety. There's actually a sinful kind of anxiety or a sinful worry. And simply stated, sinful anxiety is when faced with a problem... The decision is made to not trust God. That's sinful anxiety or sinful worry. To not believe 
that God will do what he says he'll do all through Scripture. It's as one scholar put it, that it's when we buy into what, what this scholar calls the trinity of unbelief. And this is something that all of us wrestle with. And the enemy throws this stuff at us. Uh, and, and we just saying that fear is a liar. That, that comes from the enemy. The enemy is a liar. Scripture says that. He's the father of all lies. And so he'll plant these thoughts in our minds. And, and really there's three common unbeliefs that he tries to sow in each of our hearts. Uh, they're, they're the trinity of unbeliefs, and they're simply, the first one is that God doesn't really know or see what I need, that he's just unaware of what my problem is. The, the second one is that, that God doesn't care about me or my problem. He may see it, but he doesn't care about it. He cares about other people, but he doesn't care about me. Or the third one is that God can't or won't meet my need. And we all wrestle with those at times in our lives. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about anxiety or worry. It's the intentional, sinful decision to not believe God. And so Jesus says, don't allow yourself to slip into that. Don't, don't allow your mind to go there. And, and he really, he gives us three reasons why we shouldn't do that. And, and the first reason he says we shouldn't worry is he says, worry is unproductive. Don't worry because it's unproductive. In fact, let me, let me ask you this. When's the last time you encountered anyone who said something like this? You know, um, I had this issue in my life. It was a huge problem. Let's, let, let's just say, for example, um, I discovered that I, own, I owed $25,000 in back taxes. So I had this issue in my life. I owed $25,000 in back taxes, and I, I didn't know what to do. And all of a sudden, it hit me. I know what I'll do. I'll worry about it. I, I just need to worry about it. And so that's what I did. I worried about it, and it was amazing. It was like the best thing I ever did. Immediately it solved everything. Everything got better. No more debt. I can't tell you how highly I recommend worry. If you ever have a problem, worry about it. It's the best thing I ever did. When's the last time you ever heard anybody say that? Never. I've never come across anybody who ever said, man, the best thing that you can do is first thing in the morning, find something to be anxious about. Find something to worry over. I mean, it'll add years to your life. Worry is like the new walking. No. Why? Because worry has never fixed anything. It's 100% unproductive. In fact, look at what Jesus says. He, he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is life not more than food, the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And then he asked this question in verse 27. He says, can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And of course, we all know the answer to that question is no. Because worry 
adds absolutely nothing to our lives. It's totally unproductive. The, the second thing that Jesus says about worry is not only is it unproductive, he says that worry is unnecessary. Look again at, at verse 26. He, he says, look at the birds of the air. They don't reap, sow or reap or store away in barns and let your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But what Jesus is doing here is something that was very common in this day and age. It's, it's something that uh, philosophers would call an argument from minor to major, from the lesser to the greater. In other words, what he's saying is, is listen, all you have to do is just open your eyes. Just, just look around at God's lesser creation. I mean, have you ever seen a bird out begging for food? Or, or have you ever seen a flower, you know, out just pulling its petals out because it got an ugly color job? And, and the answer is, of course not. And so Jesus is like, then, then just look around at all of creation and let the flowers preach to you of the goodness of God. And let the birds sing to you of his faithfulness. And in that moment when you hear and you see them, be reminded how he has provided for them. And remember that worry is unnecessary. I mean, if God will provide for the least of all of creation, he's your heavenly father. Why in the world would he not provide for his children. The, the last reason that Jesus gives why we shouldn't give in to worry, and, and this one is the most important, he, he says not only is worry unproductive and it's unnecessary, but he also says that worry is unworthy. At the end of verse 25, Jesus asks this very important question. And, and I think that most of the, time, of the time when we read this passage of Scripture, we tend to blow right past this question, which is a big mistake, because this question is the point. I want you to look at, at what he asks. Jesus asks, he says, is life not more than food? And the body more than clothes? In other words, what Jesus is really getting at here is what is most important to us? Is life primarily centered around the stuff that we have? Because if it is, 
then it would make sense that we would worry. Because he's already told us in the previous section that that stuff doesn't last. It it, it rusts. It wears out. We lose it. It loses its value. Somebody else takes it. And if that's what's driving or the driving force in our lives, then it makes sense that we would worry. And, and here, in this, in this instance, he uses like basic level stuff as an example. And we already established last week, you know, the vast majority of us in our culture, we, we don't worry about basic need stuff. None of us are, are worried about, you know, what are we going to eat today? Are we going to have something to eat today? But this is such an important question. Is there more to life than stuff? To, to which if forced to answer that question, I would guess that most of us, if not all of us, would say, well, of course. Yes, life is, there's more to life than that. Which actually leads us to a bigger question. Actually, a couple of bigger questions. Which is Jesus' point? He's trying to get us here. I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is sneaky. And he's trying to get us to wrestle through some of this stuff. And he's trying to get us to wrestle with these questions. And so the the bigger questions are this. Question one is, okay, so if there's more to life than stuff, then is that actually reflected in the way that I live my life? If I really believe that, Is that reflected in the decisions that I make? Is that really reflected in my day-to-day life? In other words, where the rubber meets the road, do I actually live like I believe that? Or when I compare my life to the life of everybody else in my culture where, you know, we talked about this last week, the driving force of this culture, really there's two driving forces that are closely related, consumerism and materialism. When I compare my life to everyone else, is there really a noticeable difference? Or or are my priorities the same? Are we chasing after the same things? Are we investing in the same things? Are we fighting the same fights? Are we worrying about the same things? The point is that if my life doesn't look any different, then maybe the truth is my values aren't that much different. Question number two is what is the more? that Jesus is talking about, that isn't life more than stuff? What is the more that Jesus is talking about? If life is more than all the things I tend to worry about, what is the more? Well, in verse 33, Jesus answers his own question. He says, instead of worrying about all of that stuff, what your heavenly father wants to provide for you. Instead, he says, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You see what Jesus does here? 
he, he, he circles back around and he takes us right back to the point where we started. He, he says, the thing that's most important in life and all of eternity, by the way, more important than houses and cars and entertainment and pleasure and even more important than basic needs like food and clothing, he says what is most important is being an active participant in his kingdom. Jesus says that when, when it all boils down to the, the, what, what is the most important thing is when my kingdom so captivates your heart that, that, it, when, 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 that becoming like me, which is really what righteousness is, it's Christ-likeness. He says that when that becomes your primary pursuit, he says when you do that and that becomes your number one desire, then all of those other things will be added unto you. In other words, if you'll just focus first and foremost on loving me and honor, honoring me in everything that you do, if you'll, just, if you'll just focus first and foremost in loving me and honoring me in your relationships, then I'll take care of your marriage. If you'll, just, if you'll just focus first and foremost in loving me and honoring me in your finances, then I'll take care of your provision. If you'll focus first and foremost in loving me and honoring me at work, then I'll take care of your advancement in your career. You see, what Jesus is saying here is the solution for worry and anxiety is it's really a pretty simple one. It's simply an issue of making him and his kingdom not just a priority in our lives, not, not just somewhere in the top 10 or the top five or the top three, but the priority in our lives. He says, seek first his kingdom. The truth of the matter is that 99.9999992% of what we worry about typically centers around our kingdom, right? I mean, come on, let's, let's, let's just be honest. I mean, when was the last time that you woke up early in the morning, mind racing, couldn't sleep because there are people in your neighborhood who don't know Jesus, and if they entered into eternity today, they would enter into eternity far from God. Or, you know, you just can't eat because your stomach's in knots because of the rising meth epidemic in, in Lincoln. Or, or, or because of the number of broken homes or, or, or poverty or mass incarceration. You, you, just, you just can't stop thinking about how, how the church has lost its passion for, for prayer and worship. And as a result, we don't have any power and it's just driving you nuts. I, I mean, the truth is, for most of us, kingdom things are not the things that we're losing sleep over. So Jesus says, 
when you become a citizen of my kingdom, I've invited you into something greater. Something more, he calls it. And, and, and you're allowing your mind to dwell down here. To, to worry about this stuff down here. And you've forgotten about the fact that when I invited you into something more, you have a heavenly father who has promised to take care of all the down here stuff. I've invited you into a greater realm that you get to participate in the stuff up here, the more. You have a father who loves you, a heavenly father is what he called, who loves to take care of his children. So you don't have to worry about that stuff. You get to come up here and participate in me. Your mind's down here still in your kingdom. And Jesus says, as a child of God, you've been invited to dwell up here in the more. I think this is what Paul is talking about in Colossians chapter 3 when he talks about, he says, set your minds on things above. Set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. So, so Jesus says, don't worry. Shift your focus. Shift your priorities. Now, now I know in the, in the real world, that's easier said than done. This is why we have to be really intentional about this. So, so let me just give you a couple of tangible ideas about how when worry creeps in, you can shift your focus back to the more, okay? Because we all have this tendency. And listen, I don't do this perfectly. I'm with you. Sometimes I think I'm in Florida and I'm really in Washington. I mean, sometimes I think I'm here and I'm really worrying about this stuff. And I have to pull myself back in. In fact, I think God has a sense of humor. This past week, Thursday, I woke up early in the morning and I found myself in the middle of worry. And I was sitting on the couch. I have a place where I go. It's my quiet place early in the morning. And I thought, I'm supposed to be preaching on worry this week and why we shouldn't worry. And here I are doing it. And I, I, I put into practice what, I, what I'm going to share with you. I think God does that to keep me humble. But this is a human thing. And we have to be intentional about this. And so I want to give you um, some really simple things. They're not rocket science. But I'm telling you, if you put them into practice, they'll work. The first thing that we need to do whenever worry begins to creep in. Again, this is really simple. We need to talk to God about it. So simple. It seems so basic. But the truth is, we often forget to do this. The reality is, we tend to tell everybody else but God about our troubles. I, I mean, we, we talk to ourselves, we tell our friends, our spouse, our coworkers, and yet we fail to talk to the one person who has the power to actually do something about it. And so just spend some time with Jesus. Tell him what's on your heart. We used to sing that song, remember? Tell it to Jesus. Tell it to Jesus. 
Just spend some time with him. Tell him what's bothering you. Jesus, I'm facing this situation, and I don't know what to do about it, and it's beginning to cause some anxiety in me, and I know that's not what you want for me, and I also know that even though I may, know not, I may not know what the solution is, I know that you do. I know that you have the power to fix it. Just talk to him about it. The Bible says that we can cast all of our cares upon him because he cares for us. And I'm telling you, there's something about spending time in the presence of Jesus, unloading what's bothering us on him, and then declaring and confessing our trust in him. Sometimes we need to speak it before we see it. We need to speak it before we feel it. And there's something in doing that that will relieve our worry. Number two, remember that worry is a choice rather than a feeling. This kind of worry. Jesus said, do not worry. So if he's telling us not to do it, it means we can choose whether to do it or not to do it. Okay, so remember, this kind of worry we're talking about. We're not talking about the anxiety that's fight or flight uh, and a real or perceived threat. We're not talking about the kind of anxiety that's physiological or chemical. We're talking about the choice to not believe that God will do what he said he will do, not to believe that God is who he is, not to believe that God will provide for us. And so it's a choice. And so if it's a choice, we can make the decision If we can choose to worry, we can make the decision to trust God in spite of how we may feel in the moment. And often when we make the decision, again, in prayer, when we begin to declare, God, I don't see a way through this, but my trust and my hope is in you. Or or maybe God gives us a promise in his word that we just kind of latch on to, and we just make the decision to hold on to that. We may not make it or feel it in the moment, but we hold on to it. Eventually, the feelings will follow. See, See, our problem is... We live in a culture where we follow our feelings rather than making our feelings follow us. It's a choice, not a feeling. The, the third thing is this, and this is a big one, and that is assume God. What, what, I, what I mean by that is this, is that so often what we do when we worry is we, we see a problem or we have a situation come into our lives, and when we play it out in our mind, we automatically assume the worst possible outcome, right? That's what we do. Like, you know, our, our boss calls and says, hey, we need to get together next week. I'd like to talk with you. And immediately we start going, oh, man, he's upset with me. I must have done something, I messed up, and before we get done, we've lost our job, we've lost our house, you know, our wife's going to divorce us, we're going to lose our family, and I mean, we've totally played the whole thing out in our minds. Listen, studies have shown that 90% of what people worry about never actually happens. And, and, and even, think about this, even the 10% that does happen We suffer twice. I mean, we worry about it, and then it's going to happen anyway. 
And so listen, what, what if instead of assuming the worst, instead we just decided to assume God? The, the reason that we assume the worst is because we leave God out of the equation. Well, what if, what if instead we reminded ourselves of who God is and what God is capable of doing? Well, what if instead we began to declare the goodness and the greatness of God, the love of God, the compassion of God, the heart that God has for us as his children, that we're his beloved, that he cares for us, that he will meet all of our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus? What if we just remembered who God was and then we included him in on the, in the conversation, in the equation? Yeah, some people would clap for that, Carly. I, I saw you. I saw you going there. What if we just did that? I'm telling you, as children of God, we ought to be the most optimistic, most positive people on the planet. What if we just assumed God? I've, I've got, I'm going to give you two bonus ones that aren't up on the board, okay? Let me, let me give you two more. Remember what he's done in the past. Remember how he's come through for you before. Remember how he's worked in your life in the past. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves. One of the things about the people of God, the children of Israel, is they would tell stories to their children, especially. They'd pass them down from generation to generation to generation of this is how our God has come through and worked on our behalf. And one of the reasons why they did that is because it built faith in their lives. Listen, parents, one of the things we need to do is we need to sit down with our kids and we need to tell them the stories of how God showed up in our lives. As a community of faith, this is the awesome part of testimonies. This is why it's important for us to share our testimonies of how, man, I was going through this, and this was a difficult time in my life, and God showed up, and this is how he worked, and this is how he worked in my life. Because what happens in that time, one of the things that the Bible says that we can do for each other is to encourage one another. That in those moments where worry starts to re, uh, creep in, and my courage begins to leave me, and somebody else comes in and begins to speak about how God worked in their lives. They encourage me. They infuse courage back into me because they talk about the faithfulness of God. We can do that for ourselves. Remind ourselves of how God has come through in the past. Last one. Thank him in advance for what he hasn't done yet. Sometimes we forget to thank him on the back end. We need to do that once he comes through. What about thanking him on the front end? God, I just believe that you're going to come through. I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know when you're going to do it, but I know who you are. I know what you can do. My faith and my trust is in you. And so I'm going to thank you right now for what I know you're going to do in my life. And we just thank him on the front end. I'm telling you, if you'll do those things, worry, we sang about fear, man, worry has to flee in those moments. And so I want to encourage you this morning. I'm going to invite the band to come this morning. And as they do, I want to invite you to, to bow your heads 
and close your eyes this morning. Ultimately, where Jesus has been leading us over these past couple of weeks as he's been talking about wealth and worry is to the simple question of, are you willing to trust me completely with your life, with everything, with your entire life, completely? That's the big question. Do you trust me? Not just to forgive you of your sins, but do you trust me in every area of your life? Do you trust me in your relationships? Do you trust me with your health? Do you trust me in directing your future? Do you trust me with your finances? Do you trust me with your life? And this morning, as we end our time together, I just want to invite you, as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to invite you to take a moment and allow the Holy Spirit to take some inventory of your own heart. And there may be some here this morning, and maybe the Holy Spirit has already revealed an area of your life where you've just been holding back this area. Maybe he's already exposed that. And if that's you this morning, I, I just want to encourage you this morning to just release that to him, to just say, God, I, I give that area to you. Maybe it's, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's your finances. I don't know. Just release it to him. Just say, Jesus, I give it to you. I trust you. I've held on to this. I, I've been worrying about it. And I, I just trust you with this. I release it to you. I just release complete control to you. There may be some here this morning, maybe some who are online, and the thing that you need to release to him, really, it's you. you you've never accepted the free gift of salvation and invited him to be your Savior and your Lord. And if that's you, I just want to invite you to, in the quietness of your own heart, to just to do that right now, there's no better time than right now to just pray this prayer with me. To just in the quietness of your heart, pray, Jesus, I invite you into my heart today. And I receive you as the forgiver of my sins. And I invite you to be the leader of my life and I commit myself to follow you and to obey you from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, the band's going to help us. We're going to kind of leave the way we came in with a song of worship. But before we do that, Maybe you prayed that prayer for the first time or you made another spiritual commitment. I want to encourage you to take and, again, go to the central hub, to that place that says, I made a spiritual decision, and let us know that, man. We'd love to just celebrate whatever decision that you've made to support you in any way. And uh, if you made a spiritual decision, we'd love to, uh, a, a, a decision to follow Christ for the first time, and you don't have a Bible 
uh, we'd love to get you one of those. Carly can get you one at the You Belong Here table out front. There's also a little devotional to kind of help you kickstart your journey with Jesus. And so we invite you to stop by there. But let's all just stand together and let's uh, worship the Lord for a moment before we leave. <laughs>